Hello, this is Rich Potter, and welcome to the What's So Funny podcast. Well, here we are again. So, what have I been doing recently? I've been involved for the last few weeks with the Maryland Renaissance Festival. I have been involved with that festival on and off pretty much since the 1980s, for about 35 years. It's uh, been quite some time. It's the longest association I've had with any institution in my life, apart from uh, you know my birth family, but that's something I can't escape, for better or for worse. <sighs> but Renaissance festivals, it's... Uh, if you've never been to one, they're great, uh, they're fun, uh, you don't have to be into history, but they are kind of like a science fiction convention for history dorks. But there are plenty of things to do that don't have to do with history. I, I mean, it's got the pastiche of history, but it could be anywhere from the late 1700s all the way back to like the 900s. There's like... People are pretty liberal with their definition of what Renaissance is, but the official people who are actually doing the historical um, reenactment or the historical um, theater, they, they do stick to the specific, like, uh, this is King Henry VIII this year. Again, uh, we have a great Henry. And they reenact different scenes, uh, some historical and some fictionalized accounts of the uh, that time in uh, English history, and they fictionalize it in order to make it a little more, uh, keep it interesting to the audiences of 2018. Because most of life back in the in the 16th century, it was pretty boring. You know, the premise is uh, in our quote village is it's a small English country village, and King Henry and his entourage are kind of coming through for the day, and we heard about it before, so we threw this big festival to honor the king. And so that's kind of uh, what's going on. But there's uh, variety acts, there's, uh, you know, jugglers and magicians and uh, acrobats. And then there's theater, people reenacting Shakespeare, er, reenacting, they're doing Shakespeare, uh, sometimes seriously, sometimes as a spoof. There's craftsmen, there's games, like carnival games, but with the Renaissance pastiche. It's just a good time for adults, kids, in between, you know, pretty much anyone can find anything they want to, to do there. I, I find there's families, there's bros, there's hipsters, there's cosplayers, there's bikers. There's people on any part of the racial spectrum, any part of the sexual identity spectrum. People are able to fly their freak flag high. As You know, there, there's a family atmosphere there so you can't go go with your um your giblets hanging out but pretty much who you are is pretty much accepted at, at a renaissance fair so it's really it's a place where as a 15 year old uh, little dorky me found out that the world is bigger than high school and that was lovely it's a kind of a place of radical acceptance anyway i just wanted to talk a little bit about you know what i'm doing there now and maybe next week I'll get into some of the uh, other odd jobs I've done along the way. The last few years, my wife had been working at a booth where they tell fortunes. And the way it's set up is you have to come up a, a little stairway up to about eh, six feet above the path. And there's a platform. And inside the booth, there are five rooms where there are five different readers who do card reading and palm reading and rune stones, which is a Viking form of divination and uh, one guy does I Ching which is a Chinese form of divination and people have to come up 
in order to make an appointment to get a reading. And they don't know to come up if they don't know we're there. And if we're six feet up, their eyes are not affixed up there. So they need something to grab attention. So that brings me in. I was brought in a few years ago when the guy who'd been doing it for 25-ish years found his dream job out of town so he could no longer do the job. They were looking for someone to replace this guy when he retired, and my name came up in the mix, and they decided to take a chance with the obnoxious clown. So my job is to stand up on the perch above the people and essentially say funny things. It's not really a show. I kind of make it show-like. My objective is to get the eyes moving upward towards us so that I can tell people what, what we're doing. And if they're interested, they can come up. This is not really what I aspired to do at the Renaissance Fair, but I've been told I keep the energy and the sales up and the money's okay. So I guess that means I'm useful. And I usually only do one day per weekend. Uh, that's nine hours of bellowing without a microphone uh, one day a week. And that's about all I want. I guess the question comes up, do I believe in this fortune telling stuff? In order to sell something, you should believe in the product. Let's just say that, as I understand it, modern psychology is less than 150 years old. Sigmund Freud started with some good ideas and some bad ideas, and we are still picking away at the human brain with stone tools. And there's plenty we know, but plenty more that we don't. For all of human history minus 150 years, in multiple cultures around the world, there's been some form of fortune-telling, or seeing, or oracles, omens, palm-reading, bone-casting, tea-leaf interpretation, etc. And people have found those methods useful and accurate enough to use them, over and over and over, through a skilled reader to better understand themselves. So without getting too deep into it, do I believe some mystical powers at play here? No. Do I think there are things that you can get out of a reading? Yes. Am I trying to sell something at the fair? Yes. But I found I do have trouble selling things that I don't have some level of trust in. So I, I guess I could say, yes, there is something to this and people do benefit from it. When I'm standing up there on the perch, I alternate between making silly predictions like predicting rain once people are already wet or predicting that people will have children when they're pushing a stroller. And then I just tell them to come up. I tell them that I am not the fortune teller, I'm just the jackass out front, that if they want a real reading, they should come up. And then I tell them, watch out for that tree that was free of charge. They usually keep walking, and it's just a game of numbers, like any sales. There's usually about 20,000 people on an average day. If I can get 180 customers, that's less than 1%, then that's a really, really busy day. So out of 100 people, if I get 0.9 people, I, I try to get one out of 110, though, so I'm not dealing with people missing their heads or elbows or anything. So how do I do it? It's, I guess, a banter thing. I've spent 30 years learning how to get attention in a crowd, deliver a coherent, pithy line, and usually get a laugh. I'm really good at the 30-second relationship. I've literally had millions of them. Usually people walk away from me laughing. Cheap thrills. But it's a simple formula. I'm doing sales, so I start out telling them what we sell, and then punchline. That's it. Their goal of the day did not include me, so I do need to interrupt their day, get their attention. You, know, you can't tell a joke to people who are not listening. So I usually try to grab their attention, something like good morrow, which is good day or hello for Renaissance speak. Or I say, come up here, come up here and get a reading, or step right up and get a reading, right this way and get a reading. I understand very well how carnival barkers have developed those sorts of phrases. It's, you know, you're not listening to me, you're not here to listen to me, so I'm going to say something banal 
that gets you looking my way because I just started talking and then I start talking to you. That's when I start engaging. Once I have your attention, that's when I start engaging. Because if people hear only the punchline and they don't hear the setup, the punchline has no meaning. And I found this really replicates in any situation on stage. Like if I'm doing a street show and some homeless dude starts screaming, the audience's eyes all go to the homeless dude. I'm here trying to do a show. My next three lines are not going to work unless I pull the audience back to me uh, once the situation is handled. Same thing if you're in a comedy club. A wait- waiter or waitress drops, uh, drops some dishes. Crash. You've just bunged up the one joke and you have to get the audience back on you because there's, there's something going on in the room. Someone in the theater sneezes or their cell phone rings. You got to deal with that because that's going to interrupt the flow of the show. It's going to interrupt people's trains of thought and they're going to forget momentarily what you're talking about. So it's always about getting the attention back to you. And sometimes it just means saying something banal to remind people, oh yeah, this guy is the one we're supposed to be listening to. I use that when people are just by the thousands walking by me all day long. I have to get groups of like 10, 20, 30 at a time looking up at me so I can deliver my line, so I can sell my product. Sometimes people will walk up to me and they're really interested in a reading. Like I'll say my funny thing. They come up and they want a reading and they say, well, but I only have so much money and, you know, the reading costs four beers and I would rather have the four beers. And I just tell them it's up to you, whatever you value more. And one thing about dealing with the public is approximately... 0.9% of them are batshit crazy. And the laws of averages usually catch up with me. Uh, No matter how factual, benign, or supportive I am with my material, someone somewhere is going to get offended. Sometimes I do go a little bit off script, and I improvise a little bit. Sometimes when I improvise, my brain works faster than my mouth, and I stumble and may say something a little bit off. I've learned over my career how not to make that happen so much and uh, learning more and more what things people are going to be upset by. But you can never account for everybody. Everyone's got their own personal dialogue going on in their head, and I am not in control of that. So, for instance, when someone in the crowd walks by, or a group walks by and there's a redhead, I will say, you know, come get your fortune told, special readings for gingers. Always good for a laugh. And then I follow up with, it's easier to see your future when you have no soul. I think that's a South Park reference, but I think the joke scans even without the pop cultural touchstone. Clearly what I'm saying is ridiculous and is treated as such. Whether souls exist or not, some jackass standing on a perch at a fortune telling booth is not the arbiter of the immortal soul of redheads. One of the services we sell is couples readings. When I see a man and a woman walking together, they're holding hands especially, or even if they're in close proximity, I I will just say, you know, we do couples readings. Just some things maybe they didn't know. We get a lot of business just from me saying that. Presenting that is like, oh, that's just something fun for couples to do. When it's two bros walking together, I say the same thing, but slightly differently. I say, we do couples readings, And then I point at them and say, we don't judge. Now, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe that would have been a little more edgy. But this is a Renaissance fair, and people are thankfully a little more enlightened now. So when I do that, I point at the two dudes, implying they're homosexual uh, lovers. One will usually reach out and grab the hand of the other or put his arm around the other. And they both laugh at it. They think it's fun. 
It's all in fun. It works. Surprisingly, it works out even better with biker-looking dudes. The tougher they are, the funnier it is to me and to them and to the people around. So I think we're, at least where the, from where the Renaissance Festival goes, we're living in a more enlightened time than we were 30 years ago. And sometimes they actually are a couple and they come up for a reading, which is awesome. No matter what, that particular thing is a win. Even though from the surface it sounds like I'm pushing the envelope, I, I am, I'm being edgy, I might offend people, and it works out. But then there was this one woman who really wanted a reading. She approached me and we had a brief discussion and she said she wanted a reading, but that would be like four beers. And I just said what I normally say, you know, whatever you think is more important in your life, which is a half joke and a bit of salesmanship, you know, it tries to put things in perspective of what, what you think is more important right now. You know, do you, do you want the alcohol or do you want the guidance? But we're at a fair. It's a fun day. Everything's fun. So I'm not pushing hard. I'm not trying to do the hard sell. I'm just, you know, lightheartedly pointing out where you want to put your priorities. Or at least that's what I thought. She ended up walking away, which was fine. I'm, I'm guessing to get her booze. Well, 30 minutes later, I've seen a couple thousand people walk by at this point, and she walks up to me. She walks back to me, and she starts berating me for being insensitive, and who am I to say what her priorities are in life, and if she wants to get beer and not a reading, that's her prerogative, et cetera, et cetera, wasting my time because I'm trying to get people in the door. I, I don't need to deal with her. I could use that time to find some of the other 20,000 less insane people. What I said to her was, listen, lady, if your pull for booze was stronger than your pull to get some guidance in life, maybe booze should be put lower on your list. I think a reading would be helpful. The fact that you stewed about it for a half hour and felt that you still needed to come back and tell me about your internal conflicts suggests you have unresolved issues, for which a reading would be helpful. You're staggering a bit more than last time you walked by, and sitting down for 15 minutes and giving yourself a break while not drinking would be a good thing for which a reading would be helpful. You seem to think I made any of my remarks about you personally and not as a general statement that I would make to anyone tells me you have a narcissistic need to make everything about you, for which a reading would be helpful. If you have money to get in here for the day and money for booze, but not money for something you don't encounter every day that you really want to do, maybe you need to reconsider your career situation in life, for which a reading would be helpful. You're letting me, a complete stranger, occupy such valuable real estate in your head, which tells me that you need to work on your own feelings of powerlessness and management of your own out-of-control emotions, for which a reading would be helpful. And the fact that you are here alone today suggests you're probably single, understandably, as your love of substances and random outbursts at strangers for perceived slights might show deeper issues that are preventing you from having a love life, for which a reading would be helpful. Yes, I said all of those things. I said all of those things to her inside my head after she walked away. You see, most of my genius is unpacked on the drive home after the day is over. What I did say to her as a customer service representative is, I'm sorry, this is all in fun, no offense intended, and you are free and welcome to do whatever you like with your life. And that was it. Honestly, I do like to push boundaries. Most comics do. But if she's hurting inside, I don't want to heap on. I might have been able to help her see she has a problem. But it could have 
backfired if I had... But it could just as easily have backfired, and I had a job to do. I didn't have an hour to help her process and possibly blow up at me and create a scene. I was representative of the business behind me and not the therapist for the woman standing in front of me. If she did actually end up to get a reading, I'm sure it would have helped her, but she would have had to make the choice and you can't force someone to take therapy and you can't force someone to take a reading. I like to think she got to thinking, maybe not just from my comment, but maybe cumulative messages from many sources in her life of which I might just be one. That's just one of many different interactions I have during the day out of 20,000 interactions. Out of 20,000 people who walk in the door, I have interactions with a few hundred of them every day. Out of the few hundred, I'd say really almost all of them are positive or at least neutral. Usually it's laughs. Every now and then someone will slip me a couple bucks and say, hey, I enjoyed your act. And I'm like, it's not really an act, but I'll take your money. (laughs) I've learned over the years that it's easier to just accept a tip than to deny it. If people feel moved to, out of the blue, you know, pay me for being me, I'll take it. Besides, it actually, I think, makes them feel good to have done that rather than for me to deny it. So I'm doing them a favor by taking their couple of bucks. In any case, you know, this woman, anyone who over the years has taken issue with something I've said, I have to take that seriously. I am an artist, I want to be a free spirit, I want to be able to express myself. But in the end, I am working for the people standing behind me. My job is to make them look good. So I want to be funny and I want to get customers in the door. And I don't want people walking away saying, that's the place where the guy insults people. I want them walking by thinking, that place looks fun. I want to try that out. And I've had people walk by or come in and say they came in because they liked me. They liked that that I was fun and funny and upbeat and positive attitude. In any case, as I'm standing out there on the perch above the crowd, attracting everyone's attention, I'm wearing many hats. I'm doing sales, I'm doing customer service, I'm a confidant, a cheerleader, sometimes a therapist, and most of it just starts with standing up there and saying funny things. That's it for this week, and next week I'll dig into some of the history I've had at the Renaissance Fair, what with all the odd jobs I've had along the way within the Renaissance setting. This has been the What's So Funny podcast with Rich Potter. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes on Wednesdays.